Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You did a, a festival and Metallica was there. Like, are you eating the same food as Metallica? Do they get a separate spread? How does that work? Well, I think Metallica was probably an extreme example. I mean, I think if, if, this was the truth. We were told not to make eye contact with Metallica <laughs> in the backstage area. <laughs> I'm Rob Patron, and here on Hot Takes on a Plate, I explore the things that make us feel and how those feelings collide with food. And today, I'm feeling a gradual return to normalcy. And I say that because... When I embarked on doing this podcast a little over a year ago, the idea was to catch up with old friends, catch up with chefs, catch up with celebrities that were on Restaurant Hunter, and do it in person, quite frankly. And then COVID hit very, very shortly after the show started, and everything went to Zoom, and the tone of the show changed. It went from being fun, kind of goofy, hot takes about food and whatnot to having to be a little bit more about current events and what was going on. It just didn't feel right to be goofy in that moment. And gradually over time, it's been it's become a mix, which I like, uh, of serious and fun. Uh, but today I say it's a ret uh, return to normalcy because it's funny, like as the world is becoming a little bit more normal and, you know, I, I've got my two vaccines and I'm doing things I wasn't doing not that long ago, you know, it, it, I, here I am now. I'm doing what I was setting out to do originally with this show. We're going to have a fun kind of goofy show, and I'm doing it with with an old friend, John Hampson. Uh, you may know him from the band Nine Days. He was on Restaurant Hunter, of course, a couple of times. And John and I are going to chat about what it is like to eat like a rock star. John, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me again, Rob. Yeah, it's our third time uh, doing something together. And, you know, I want to talk to you about the diet of a rock star. But before I get into all of that, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how COVID disrupted things for the restaurant industry. And clearly the same thing happened to the music industry. So I'm curious, when was the last time you played in front of a crowd? And how has this pandemic been for you and the band as performers? Um, that's a great, you know, I, I, had, I have to think right now. The last time I played in front of a crowd was probably probably in the fall of, yeah, it was the fall of 20, my God, it'd be 19, right? I can't even keep it straight. Yeah, it would have been the fall. Yeah, in the fall. We did a couple nine-day shows in the fall of 20. I can't believe it. It's almost two years, right, this fall. Um, and then, you know, obviously then the pandemic hit and we did not play and we haven't we actually started just last week uh talking about doing uh some shows on the island long island that is and um last year was the 20 year anniversary of the release of you know story of a girl and the madding crowd album and we had all these big plans i had booked a venue like a year in advance because i wanted it on the date the album came out uh. on me so now we're trying to celebrate the 21 year anniversary, but uh, hey, hey, it's legal drinking age. Exactly. We'll, we'll find a way to market it. But uh, yeah, I, we're still in the process of, of trying to figure that stuff out. So, yeah. So when do you think you will play in front of a crowd again? I think this summer I do. I'm going to get out there one way or the other, um, you know, to, to kind of go back to what you're saying about the pandemic. And, and actually, I have a, good, a question for you about this, but I know tons of musicians because of the pandemic, like it, 
it kind of allowed everybody, if you're a musician, like if you're, especially if you're a songwriter, uh, it kind of allowed, like life slowed down. And I wrote a lot of music and I, I had time, you, know, you couldn't do much else. So, um, you know, we were talking earlier about how, you know, demanding it is with kids, you know, when you're, when you have a family, um, but it, it slowed everything down. And I, I spent a lot of time writing and recording and demoing just in my house uh, so I have a ton of songs and I, I figured there's probably a lot of albums coming out um, because of that, that, you know, time to, to be creative when you didn't have to do other things, you could really focus on it. Well, it's a, it's a, for me, it's a different kind of creative because with you, you can kind of go inward and mm -hmm. write music. Most yeah. of what I do, I have to go sort of outward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so actually one of the things that that I did do during all of this is uh, I've been working with some former colleagues of mine uh, on a documentary. And the documentary, we did a lot of it over Zoom, where I was interviewing restaurant owners about the impact of COVID. And it yeah. kind of fit the moment because it's just this is how we're living life. So it's not the the visual quality that people are used to, but it's also so perfect mm. for this sort of time capsule, which is what we were going for. So yeah, it's, 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 you know, I've, I've definitely found new ways to sort of flex my creative muscles, but it is different because I'm used to being in the field and sort of touching things and being yep. there and COVID, you know, me with an underlying health condition, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. So it, it did change things. I, I can imagine on the creative side or even on the business side, for sure. Uh, we all know how many, I mean, you know, it's funny, it's not really funny, but one of the episodes we did together was at say cheese, that wine and cheese place in Portugal. And, and for those who, who need to need it spelled out, C apostrophe E S T cheese. Yes. French. The French. Say cheese. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so, uh, that was my friend Joe's place and he shut down. You know, they didn't survive. Oh, that sucks. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's on so many levels. Um, so the business was terrible. But, you know, I, what I wonder is if you, you know, do you, do you, were there a lot of creative uh, chefs out there who are going, all right, I got all this time. Let me let me work on new ideas. New, new You know, it's funny you say that. I actually know a chef, uh, Eric Rivera, who's been on this show um, out of Seattle. And he's a guy who... He, he tweeted this today, which is why it's top of my head. He has not had any diners in his restaurant since right. the beginning. He shut it down for safety reasons. He did, you know, a pantry and takeout and all of that. But nobody, even when he was allowed to, was eating in his restaurant. And he said on Twitter today, because of vaccines and everything else, he's got he does a tasting menu as well. He's got his first two diners in and, and he tweeted about how he's got all this pent up creativity and he's just ready to go. So, yeah, I, I do think for some people that there probably was some of that. Yeah, you know, there's look, there's always the potential for a really positive sort of rebound, you know, where uh, these these really interesting things come out of, of these kind of terrible. Uh, I, don't, you know, I don't know what you call it, terrible time, but. You know, people are creative and they're resilient and you just what necessity is the mother of invention, right? We have to find new ways to 
to, to be creative, to uh, explore the things that we love and, and our outlets. Uh, so inevitably, there's going to be some really interesting things that come out of this, but we have to get there first. And, and that's the tough part. Absolutely. And I said we were going to have fun today. And here we are talking about serious <laughs> stuff in COVID. Come on, John, let's have some fun. All right. All right. I, wanted to, I wanted to have you on because I wanted to talk about, I, I like exploring how different types of people eat. And you obviously have lived the life of a rock star. And so you know some things that maybe the general public doesn't know or they assume they know. And of course, one of the things that when you are a rock star, you get to do is when you perform at a show, you submit uh, a hospitality list, you know, what the band wants to eat, what the band wants to drink. And you sent me a hospitality list of nine days from a few years ago. I didn't even ask for it. You just volunteered this. So you just you just set yourself up for this, John. I, I don't know why you would do that. You are a glutton for punishment. I knew what I was getting into. I, I told you, I was like, you were going to get a kick out of this and you were going to roast me for it. Okay, I'm going to read off. I'm going to read off for the people the things on this list that are food and drink related. There was one case of water, 24 bottles. Preferably Aquafina, <laughs> Dasani, or Poland Spring. First off, everybody knows Aquafina and Dasani are straight garbage, John. They're ju it's just tap water filtered. It's not even the spring water. Come on. Rob, I'm going to have an answer for all this, but keep going. Okay. 12 cans of Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. 12 cans of Sprite. Mm -hmm. Now we get to the fun stuff. 12 huh. Samuel Adams seasonal or anything else you like. That is so kind of you, John, to, to put it in their court. Anything else they like, which That's can right. also be, it could be dangerous. You don't know what you're getting back there. Maybe, maybe you've had some danger there. We've also got a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. We've got assorted bags of chips, cold <laughs> deli tray for seven. And in parentheses, turkey, cheese, ham, etc. Please no onions, multiple exclamation points. No onions, people. Mayo, mustard, plastic knives, forks, one loaf, whole wheat bread, 12 sandwich rolls, one jar of peanut butter, smooth, please, exclamation points, one jar of grape jelly. I have so many questions, John. So many questions. Uh, I, I don't like, know if I should, I should I, maybe let ask the questions first because, uh, you know, then I can explain this all. It might not be as fun. So well, what do you first, got? Where's what I want to know? I want to know how does this work? Like, do you... So, is there like a budget? Like, do you like, so when you go to a venue and you're like, here's my list, can they sit, can they veto it? Can they be like, look, you're asking for too much. Like, like where, like, how does that work? What's the negotiation there? Um, like, let's start there. All right. So let me provide just a little bit of context. Okay. So, uh, when you say that, you know, I lived the life of a rock star, let's just frame this properly. I did for about two years, okay? I, I, I wrote it out, we had a wonderful run, uh, but for the other 20 years that I've been making music, I've been basically, you know, uh, the plebeian version and just trying to get by, but- Yeah, but, but John, uh, John, yeah. those two years are two more than anyone else that is listening to this. Like, 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 you, like, let's not undersell it. I'm not complaining, I'm just saying, we gotta put some things in perspective. So. Um, so your question is, can they veto this? Is there a budget? So I'll answer that one first. Uh, what'll happen sometimes when you'll, you'll, you'll send out your rider and the venue will come back and say, can we just do a buyout? In which case you'll agree on a certain amount of money and they'll just give you the money and you take care of your own food. So that off that happens often, depending, you know, but then you got to do the work. You don't want to do the work. Exactly. 
Exactly. So um, what happened with this rider, and I was dying laughing just reading it because I, I was reading it thinking about you going, he is going to just... <laughs> But so I, I can explain it. What happens is you start off with all these wonderful ideas of the foods that you want to put on your rider. And then you show up to the gigs and they can't find any of it. And they start just, you know, replacing it with whatever they think. And it's a disaster. So little by little, you 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 step back and you're like, oh, my God, what's like the least common denominator here? You know, like what what can I put on this that I know I can get? <laughs> that at least we can eat something. Uh, so that's how it evolved because the whole, the Sam Adams one, first of all, I don't even drink Sam Adams. I don't know why that's on there. But um, what we started saying was, hey, if there's a, a local microbrew, like if you, everybody has their own local beer. Something beers, fun, something yeah. interesting. Exactly. This is an older one. I, I can't even remember. This one's got to be like 10 years old, but uh, it has evolved. And now we'll basically say, hey, if you have a like if I was playing on Long Island, I would say, hey, you know, you got Montauk Ale or you've got um, um, well, what's the other one? Blue Point Lager or just something local, something cool and interesting. That would be our new beer thing. Um but the uh, the water, I, yeah, who who put Aquafina on there? That wasn't me. I won't take credit for that. Uh, but what I will take credit for is the no onions on the deli tray. And we, we were talking about the whole Van Halen with the brown M&Ms. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, we were emailing or maybe he was texting about this. And I was asking you, like, what's your uh, what's your what's your Van Halen? For people who don't know Van Halen, Van Halen, maybe you could tell the story better than I could. I know that it was it Eddie Van Halen who who would request like the, the brown M&Ms out of an M&M tray or something like that? Yeah. The story is that on Van Halen's rider, they would ask for M&Ms, but in fine print, it would say no brown M&Ms. And then if they found them, they would trash the hotel room or the, or the dressing room. And this was, uh, I think, to see if they were paying attention. Like there, it was basically like a test. Yeah. Like they were like, well, okay, if they missed that, what else did they miss? So that it was, it was a fun way of checking to see, is anybody actually paying attention? Um, we had one of those in our rider, by the way, uh, the name of the band is nine days, but we spelled out nine it wasn't the number. And we actually named our band for the record in 1994, way before all the other number bands started coming out in the late nineties. So we had in our rider that if they advertised us, as nine days with the number nine, they had to pay us, but we didn't have to play. <laughs> <laughs> it never worked, by the way. We never actually followed through, but that was on it. But um, the onions, uh, I hate onions. I like the flavor that it adds to food, but I don't want to actually eat the onion. I don't know. You don't if want it raw. You don't want it raw. Yeah, I don't even want it cooked, but it, it, it adds a nice flavor sometimes. But a lot of times these, these the riders, they would wind up on our tour bus. So we'd be off doing sound check or whatever, and somebody would bring in this big deli tray full of onions, and we'd get on the tour bus, and it would reek like onions, and you couldn't care. <laughs> so uh, that, and I hated it. So I, I would, I would, I wouldn't trash anything, but I would definitely be tossing those onions out the door. Uh, so that's why there's no onions on the rider. But I love and, how polite you are with so much of this. There's a lot of please. Yes. Well, listen, you got to be nice. I mean, you know, this is food. Who knows what's going to happen to it if you're not? 
So um, here's what, here's what I'm curious about. So you said this is probably about ten years old, and you said it was it was twenty years ago that you were really, really, really hot. You had a number one hit, a number one hit in the country. So tell me, what did that list look like twenty years ago? Okay, was it, like was it was, were you like like really like pushing for like some impressive stuff? Like what was going on there? You know, Rob, I'm going to disappoint you, but. We, I, first of all, I don't even remember. It was so chaotic at the time that we, that when things were crazy, it was well, complete chaos. Not only was it chaos, I'm sure, but the music industry was different. Like people don't yeah. understand. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was just a different ball game. It wasn't so fragmented the way it is now. And I feel like, uh, uh, you know, there was more room, I think, for more hits. One, you know, like now I feel like the charts are dominated by just literally a couple of artists. At least that's yeah. the way it feels to me with my old man vision. But <laughs> but, you know, it, it, there wasn't the streaming there. You know, you used to go and for, you know, if you liked Story of a Girl, you didn't get it on Spotify. You had right. to go out and buy an album and the album cost a good amount of money, you know, $15 CD or yep. whatever. It was just, so it was a different, and, and you had, of course, all the music video, you know, there were channels devoted to this. It wasn't YouTube. So it was just like, I feel like in a way you almost became like a bigger star than would it be fair to say than, than the comparable would be now? I think it's, it's, it is amazing. It's been 20 years. So it, it is tremendously different. Um, and I, you know, I still do a lot of, work with with songwriters and a lot of young writers and you know the, they always want to know so what what did, what did, should i do to make it what can i do and i'm like i don't even know what to tell you anymore because it's a completely different world but um when when we were touring back then let's say 20 years ago the big difference with the food was we were playing a lot of big shows like we were playing amphitheater shows and uh we would play a lot of festivals and radio shows and those were catered and those were like, you ate really, really well. Um, you know, they had like a legit catering service and you go into a little cafeteria or like a big tent, whatever it was. And the food was always spot on. That was, that was great. That was living the life. You know, so when you, you did, go- yeah. So when you did those and you're yeah. playing, I, I saw you put on Instagram the other day, like you did a, a festival and Metallica was there. Like, are you eating the same food as Metallica? Do they get a separate spread? How does that work? Well, I think Metallica was probably an extreme example. I mean, I think if, if, this was the truth. We were told not to make eye contact with Metallica <laughs> in the backstage area. And it was cracking us up. And, and I walked past them and I, and I was ready to say hello, and, but they wouldn't look at me. And I, and I said, I wonder if they were told not to make eye contact with us, but uh, they didn't look at me either. But um, yeah, we, we would be sitting, you know, next to kid rock or you know if it was a radio show um you know pink would be next to us it was just bizarro world you know but yeah everybody was kind of filtering through this area um and eating and it's pretty chill like nobody nobody really bothers anybody you just you're trying to be cool (laughs) so you're just like yeah man i'm cool i'm sitting next to james Hetfield, but you know i'm not gonna say so you're talking about all these massive stars that you got to, you know, rub elbows with, like, literally sometimes. And I just, it's funny, because I was thinking about this the other day. When Story of a Girl came out, I was, like, about to graduate college. You know, I was this young kid, and, you know, I listened to alternative rock, so of course I couldn't escape the song. You know, it was everywhere. <laughs> and if you had told me at that age 
Oh, yeah, the guy who sings that song, you'll be, like, you know, texting with him someday. Like, I would have been like, the hell are you talking about? Like, that's just, that's crazy. So, like, along those lines, like, when take yourself back to college, take yourself back to high school, take yourself back to a time before nine days. Is there somebody who, if you were to go back to that time and say, oh, yeah, like, so-and-so, you'll you'll text with them someday, You'd be yeah. well. First off, you might not even know what text was, but pretending you did, of course. Like, 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 who's that person that that it's like? Oh my god! Like, you know, the the young you would would have been a little bit surprised. You know, it's it's funny because there are a few people that I I stay in contact with. Maybe not sort of like regularly, but that I would be able to have a conversation, text or email, or hey, what's going on. And I do have that moment where I'm like, holy crap, like I can actually just reach out and have this conversation. So one of them, and this, this, this might shock you, is actually Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. Um, he's a Long Island guy too. Exactly. And I grew up as a real young kid aware of them. I, my aunt, I have an aunt who's about only about 11 years older than I am. So I remember her when she was 18, 19, talking about Twisted Sister and, you know, bands. And I was into it when I was a kid. I was totally into music when I was real young, 70. I, I was already in. So I grew up knowing about Twisted Sister before they were anything. So when they hit it big, I was like, oh, my God, these are these guys are from Long Island. This is doable. This could be real. And I didn't I, I met Dee for the first time. Um when we were touring with the, he had a radio show up in, in Connecticut and um, I, I did his radio show and, you know, I won't even, I could tell you so many stories, but he's one of the greatest guys uh, period, but he was so gracious with his time and talking to me about the whole experience and what to do and not to do. Uh, and we just have, you know, stayed in touch ever since. And I'm like, I can't believe I could just reach out to this guy and he would answer. <laughs> so that's one that, and that one to me is just a, a kind of a, a real special one because like I said, I was, I was a kid and aware. Exactly. Of yeah. So I'm interested about I, going back to those days, you know, 20 years ago, you were a young guy, you know, I think back to, you were probably what in your mid late twenties, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, and I, th I think back to that time in my life and you know, I wasn't nearly as cultured as I am now. I'm wondering if there was ever a moment when you're having this success and maybe maybe you're like the record label is treating you to a fancy dinner or I don't know, there's some kind of meeting or something where you, you're, you're taken somewhere and you're presented with a menu that just you don't even know what you're looking at and it's intimidating. I mean, everybody, everybody at some point in their life has been in that situation where they go to some fancy dinner and they're like, I, I don't know what any of this is. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like, I feel, I feel stupid being here. Like, did you ever have that moment where you felt like, Oh my God, this is so bougie and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm in over my head. Uh, all the time, all the time. Uh, as you're asking this question, I go back to, we were finishing up the first album for Epic records and they wanted to make a big deal. And, you know, the producer, we went out to this really expensive steakhouse in Atlanta where we recorded the first album. And, you know, it's a big record company thing, the kind of thing you read about, you know, like when you're growing up and I'm like, Oh my, we're, we're doing this. And, uh, I, I do like steak, but, uh, I wanted well done. <laughs> so I ordered filet mignon 
And the waiter comes over and he's like, how would you like that? And I'm like, um, can I get that well done? And literally started laughing at me. Literally. Like I am right now. And I've, yeah. I've heard this story before and it never gets old. Yeah. He started laughing and I laughed along with them because I don't, I have no shame, but uh, it was, I mean, that's an exact example. That is a perfect example of how I have no idea how you're supposed to eat <laughs> those kinds of, you know, even filet mignon for me, I couldn't do it. So I mean, I mean look, here's the thing. If you're going to, John, if, if you're going to go well done on a steak, get one that's fattier. It'll, it'll, you know, it'll have a little bit of juiciness to it. Don't get the leanest you know, least marbled steak like a filet mignon and incinerate it. Come on, man. I'm, I've grown. I'm a little more cultured now. Now I'll say medium well. <laughs> Please tell me you don't eat it with ketchup. God, no. Listen, I won't go that far. I'll you know, draw the line there. Draw the line of ketchup on um, the on. Oh, yeah. I have, my kids kill me with the ketchup. I'll I'll make like um like an amazing rotisserie chicken. Like I will, I will, uh, I will make like, like I did the other day at our, our new house, um, house in the woods. It's on Airbnb in the Poconos, shameless plug, go rent right. it. Anyway, right. um, <laughs> it, I, I got it like a little rotisserie out there and I did like a rotisserie Peruvian chicken and on the grill and there comes the ketchup. I'm like, really guys? Or like I'll roast a chicken and there comes the ketchup. I'm like, you know, I could give them fish, they'd break out the ketchup. I listen, I, as you probably know well, I, I don't have a very uh, complex palate. I, I'm a pretty simple guy with food. And uh, so I, I am a nightmare when people want to go eat anything out of the ordinary, but I always, I, I do it. Uh, you know, I, I, I find a way to eat. Um, I was actually writing, uh, went down to Nashville and, and I, I got together with uh, Kyle Cook, who's in Matchbox 20. It's the first time I'd ever met him. And, you know, we're working on trying to write some songs together. And he's like, hey, you want to get some food? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And he suggested a, oh, God, um, I'm going to forget what it is now. But it's it was an Asian uh, cuisine. And I knew right away, I'm like, there's going to be not a thing in this place that I am going to want to eat. Uh, well, I, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. It's very it spicy. Is you don't like spice? Is that what it is? It's I'm not good with spices. Doritos are about as spicy as I want to go. Okay. Uh, and I forget what I'm. I'm just drawing a blank right now. But it was was a it Thai or Korean or Thai Thai Thai. Uh, but I well, found something, and yeah, I yeah. Thai is interesting because there's yeah obviously like any other cuisine, there's different regions of Thailand, and some are way spicier than others. So you know the the most American Thai restaurants are going to be more like Bangkok and Pad Thai and things like that. Which Pad Thai is not that spicy. It's not usually it's not even spicy. It's actually kind of sweet. But you know if you go northern Thailand, mm. oh boy. Oh boy, there, there. I have been to some Thai restaurants that will just like I like spice, and it will just obliterate you. Like just like you, it's like you, you're you're doing drugs. Like it's right. like you're 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 literally on something. Like you're 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 getting high, but you're also in pain, and it's an experience. <laughs> it's like you love it and hate it simultaneously. There's your sinuses. Um, what's the uh, the if you go to like the Brazilian places? Oh where yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in front of you, like the kind of the Tarascaria. Yep. Uh, I went to one of those once and uh, not realizing how spicy everything was. Really and, spicy? Uh, well, again, you know, for me, yeah. And uh, so I, I had I guess I, the chorizo, maybe. 
maybe, well, I had a beer, right? And this is, I just don't, I'm not a big foodie guy. So I start eating and I'm, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty spicy. So the worst thing to do is, of course, is to drink because it, it, it puts it all around your mouth. So I did that. So now I'm downing beer thinking that I need to, to put my mouth out from being on fire. And then I didn't realize the rice was also spicy that came with it. So I'm literally I'm laughing and crying at the same time because now I'm, I'm half drunk and my mouth is on fire. And <laughs> that was another great experience. I, I struggle with those, uh, the Brazilian steakhouse chains, because to me, it's stressful eating because I, you know, it's like the green card, red card thing. And you know, yes. what am I taking? And right. don't load up too much in the salad bar. My stomach doesn't have the same amount of room as it used to. So I, it, that, that whole thing is lost on me at this age. That was like, would have been a dream for me in my twenties, but now I'm kind of like, eh, like, you know, just give me my entree and let's, let's call it a day. I'm actually curious you know, people talk about the rock star life, the air quotes, rock star life and the hard partying and, you know, all that. But there's this part of me that wonders when, and maybe it's the thing that comes with age when you're touring, how much are you thinking about what you're eating and drinking the day of a show in terms of energy levels, in terms of, you know, obviously like you want your voice to sound peak performance, like, is there like, like a weirdly, like a health aspect to what you're eating and drinking when you're touring? So I was thinking about this, you know, in general, just kind of going through my, my mental Rolodex of, of food in relation to touring. And I also wanted to talk a little to you if, about touring, uh, excuse me, about food and recording at studios. Cause that's a whole other world. Mm. But, um, when we were touring hardcore, I dropped about 15 to 20 pounds without even realizing it. Really? Because when we were, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm 28 years old, but I'm like a young 28 at the time uh, that this is happening. And uh, being, you know, kind of the singer of the song that's getting played on the radio at the moment, you know, Story of a Girl's Blowing Up. I did not live a hard party in rock star life because every morning I got picked up by an Epic representative, Epic Records, at somewhere between 6.30 and 7 to go visit, you know, however many radio stations or whatever, mm. you know, stores they could squeeze in before the show. So that was that was what I did almost every day. Wake up early, go visit radio, try to have a voice at 7 in the morning and not sound terrible. Um, and I... I had not anxiety, but you know, I was just nervous. It, it, it's a lot of you know, uh, putting on a happy smile and meeting people and shaking hands, and so like I don't have an appetite. You know, I'm I'm kind of I'm wound up the whole time, and then we finally get back to the venue and there's sound check, and then I have a show in an hour or two. So I, I don't like to eat before a show, so I eat a little bit. And then after the show, when and then we would do uh, a meet and greet after the show. So by whatever time of night it was that I could finally step back, I would eat crap like pizza or whatever was on the bus or, you know, that's why we had jars of peanut butter. It's like, just give me something I can cram in my face right now. I don't have, I'm not, I'm on the tour bus, you know, I'm not stopping at a restaurant. And uh, so I forget about, really health and thinking about it. Thankfully I was young enough. It, it didn't really affect me. I was fine. Um, but I just remember, you know, not really eating a lot. And we, we filmed a video for story of a girl in like March 
And then we filmed the second video sometime in maybe July or August. And I remember the record company reaching out with, is John okay? Like, cause I had lost so much weight and they saw the video and they, they don't see me every day. And they were like, is he all right? Um, so I just lost all this weight from, from touring and not really being able to relax and eat. So, so that was my initial experience with rock star, you know, cuisine. It was like, get me a slice of pizza on the bus at about 1030 as we're rolling to the next town. It's not as glamorous as people may think. You know, it isn't, but, um, but it was amazing, you know, but it, it really, it sounds like a bunch of whining, but it's not that it's just that, that, that was the reality, you know, it's a job. It's a yeah. job. It, it was, yeah, it was. And I remember at one point, I think we did 22 or 23 shows, you know, in a row without a night off, without anything, which we didn't care. We, we just, we were so happy to play. But every day, that was what I did all day, all morning, definitely, was was visit, you know, radio. And they would always have a spread out. They would have food. And, you know, it, again, it was it was amazing. But it was one of however many stops I was going to make that day. And I, and I just I had nerves all day. So I did. I didn't really eat a lot. Um, so, I'm curious, have fans ever offered you food? Oh God. Yeah. They would bring stuff to, to like, they would make cookies or, you know, whatever it was. Did and, you and ever eat it? I probably did. <laughs> um, uh, I don't, I don't honestly specific. I, I remember something in my head, like where people, fans would bring food and I probably did. Um, my wife would kill me for saying that, but I did. Uh, as a quick aside, because I got to tell you this story because you'll appreciate it, talking about food from strangers. When we bought our house, uh, we were in the house for like a week or two. And on a Saturday rainy night, there comes a knock at the door. And it's these neighbors of ours. They're a little older. And they had brought us this homemade tray of like cookies and brownies and stuff and a card welcoming us. I was like, oh, my God, it's like Norman Rockwell. This is so cool. So I'm talking to the guy for a few minutes and then he you know, says goodbye and he leaves and I go into the kitchen and I'm like, wow, that was so nice. I can't believe that. And my wife's like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm looking around and I'm like, well, where's the, where's the cookies? She's like, oh my God, I threw them away. We don't know those people. <laughs> I went to the garbage. I pulled the tray out of the garbage. I'm like, I'm eating this. And I, no, I mean, look, neighbors, I think you can trust. Um, but yeah, you fans, you know, you never know. You never know. They're, um, you never know when they're, they're on that stalker tip. <laughs> now we had, you know, look, you always have some interesting characters. Uh, I'm still here 20 years later, so I think I'm all right if I did eat anything bad. Well, I'm going to let you get going, John, in just a second here, because uh, we're recording this kind of late at night. But I wanted to, one last thing. I'm curious, what is the the strangest thing mm -hmm. that has come out of the notoriety that you received being in, in a band and having a number one hit? Like what's like the thing that like you still kind of scratch your head and you go like that happened because of this success? Oh God, man. It's, it's, it's a list of crazy things that still happen. And you know I, what I'll tell you actually, um, just this past month, um, there's a film that it will be coming out, I, I think in the fall. And it's a super interesting concept. And they asked me to rewrite uh, a couple of lines from Story of a Girl to, for the film. 
And uh, as a little teaser, I guess, I, I probably can't say too much about it, but I did three versions of the song for the film. And one of them is a total epic, like ballad, like a 90s, just epic ballad version. And then the other two versions are the lyrics are written to fit the scene and they're pretty absurd and kind of funny. Um, and uh, so I think that that's all a go. We'll wait and see. It's a kind of in, in the process, but these things keep happening. You know, I keep getting these really amazing, weird, awesome opportunities because basically of that song. So uh, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's funny. I went back onto Spotify today and I, I listened to the album and I noticed that, do you know how many streams Story of a Girl has on Spotify? I, I honestly, I don't, I have no idea. I really don't it's, know. It's going to, it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> Take a guess. I, I, I don't and, even and, have... and and remember, like Spotify isn't that old. Like let let's just like like it's not like Spotify dates back to two thousand. It doesn't. Right. <laughs> so like like how many how many streams do you think it has? Oh god, I I don't. What's a good number? Like, is it have a million? It has. I kid you not, John. Eighty one million. Over eighty one million. Like That's like, a like like when you hear that, like like how does your yeah. brain process that? I, you know, dude, I, I swear to God, uh, the, the reason why I've never had any of that kind of, uh, blowback from being a quote unquote one hit wonder is because from day one, I just, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew that it was a crazy ride, you know? So all that stuff, I, I it, it's crazy. It's weird. Um, when it comes up like that, like you're, you're telling me 81 million streams, I kind of go, holy crap, I, I kind of, I wrote a hit, you know, but I... The music video has 17 million views on YouTube. Yeah, that's a lot of views. It's, and, it's and again, not, this not. wasn't, this didn't exist like YouTube when it came out. No, none of this stuff did. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't even know how to, how to put it in perspective, but you know, my, my favorite thing about it, and this is being totally honest, is like my mom was telling me uh, like last week how she was talking to whatever a group of friends that she she just met. And somehow the conversation ended up talking about music or bands. And she started talking about, oh, yeah, well, my son, you know, he was playing this show and she starts telling a little story. And they're like, well, wait a minute, who's who's your son? What did, you know, so she gets to tell the story. And that's what makes me the happiest is when those moments happen and, and, and somebody gets to, to live that freak out moment of, oh, my God, that's your son. That Those are the things that make me the happiest. They're, those are cool. That's awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for the time. I can't wait for you to be able to play shows again. I would love to be there. Um, I miss rock concerts so much. I miss them as much as 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 restaurants, quite frankly. And so we're getting we're getting closer, John. We're getting closer. It, it's 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 things are coming around, and it's nice to know. It is coming. And Rob, you know, you are always on the guest list. So uh, anytime. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Hot Takes on a Plate. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at BLEAV.com. The next episode of Hot Takes on a Plate is going to be in two weeks. Just a reminder, in two weeks. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe if you are on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. That way you never miss an episode. Make sure to rate the show as well. 
five stars, of course. And follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Rob Patron TV. Until next time, I'm Rob Patron. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.